0: Great to see so many faces uh, around uh, that we haven't seen in a while. So, um, if you're joining us online, welcome as well. Every one of us has experienced unforeseen costs. A bill that you didn't expect, maybe a root canal, um, maybe a, a broken hot water tank in your basement. Yikes. Sometimes the cost is the result of something you did and sometimes the cost is the result of something others did to you, and sometimes the cost was neither something you did nor something others did, nevertheless it was a cost you had to pay. Car accidents are one of the first things that come to my mind. In the first year of having my first car, I was rear-ended by this truck, this very large truck that could have eaten my car for a midday snack. In fact, It did, figuratively speaking. Uh, My my car was considered a total loss by the insurance adjuster. A few days later, I was bummed. So so because that guy had a moment of not paying attention, that accident cost me. It cost me time. It cost me money. um, It cost me the energy of of shopping around for a new car. It cost me a payment now. Uh, The previous car was paid off. Now I had a payment. Bummer. Aggravating. Frustrating, But I've also had my fair share of fender benders that were my fault. Uh, this, is a, this is a bit embarrassing to confess to you all, especially you on the internet. Uh, in one year, in one year, I, I pulled out of my driveway. We, our driveway is kind of sloped, so it's not uh, very obvious, uh, you know, the cars behind me. Uh, <laughs> So I, I pulled out of my driveway and backed into Brennan and Jackie's car, my brother and sister-in-law. Not once, twice in the same year. <laughs> it gets worse. Uh, the next year, I did the same thing to my own brother. Uh, it was costly. It cost, again, it cost money, time, energy, um, and cost me my dignity <laughs> here this morning. Everyone's experienced unforeseen costs. For the next couple of weeks, we're, we're going to look at a concrete situation in the early church, and that concrete situation that we're going to see is how the decision to follow Christ costs us. Jesus costs us something very valuable. You know, and we're talking specifically about the letter of Philemon. So just a little background first, along with Colossians, which we just finished last week, thanks to Tim, the Apostle Paul wrote this other letter, the letter of Philemon, from his prison cell in Rome, sent both letters in the hands of his messengers, Colossians was, was intended to be read by the entire church of the Colossians, as well as the church of Laodicea. Philemon was intended for one person in particular, Philemon, one of, one of, one of the people who, who started the church in Colossae, actually. So Philemon was a very prominent, uh, well-to-do business owner in the community, and, and as was the norm in Roman culture, he owned slaves. Here's the lead pastor, or one of the lead pastors, who owns slaves. In fact, across the Roman Empire, depending on whether you were in the city or in more rural parts, up to a third of the population uh, were enslaved. The economy ran on it and and depended heavily on slavery. Just to be clear, uh, slavery in Roman times was very different than chattel slavery in America in big ways, significant ways. Instead of stealing people from their homelands, kidnapping them, literally, from Africa, um, and, 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 and you know, taking them and making them work for the rest of their lives and the, and the rest of their descendants' lives, um, people in Roman times became slaves for a season, mostly. It, it could have been that they experienced failed crops, um, went into debt or bankruptcy for uh, some reason, they would agree to sell themselves for a period of time until that debt was paid off. So slavery in Roman times was mostly a system of indentured servitude or servanthood. Nevertheless, as I said a couple weeks ago, when the topic of slavery came up in our walk through Colossians, slavery is, is wrong. Slavery is wrong is not at all something God-ordained. God never endorses it. It goes against the, the, the design for human flourishing. But like a lot of things, God tolerates sin, and God tolerates sinful systems. Sin, sins like uh, divorce, as I said a couple weeks ago. Um, the the religious elites asked Jesus about this one time. They said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Same with slavery. From the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, God designed us to be free in all ways under God's authority. But on this side of Christ's return, when when he sets all things right and makes all things new, God is patiently tolerating sin, patiently tolerating sinful systems. He's improving us as individual believers. He's improving us uh, corporately, collectively as his church, but that does not mean he's ever put his stamp of approval on slavery. He hates sin. He hates slavery. So it's under that system that Philemon heard the life-changing news of the gospel from the mouth of Paul. He'd received God's free grace by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. He was a new man. And yet... He engaged in a sinful system that was not so from the beginning. This other guy, Onesimus, was his slave. And Onesimus ran away. Maybe he took some money, maybe not. We don't know. Heads to the very populated city of Rome, probably to be under the cover of hordes of people that would hide him only, get this, only to encounter the Apostle Paul himself. Was that a chance encounter? Was that a coincidence? Or was that the sovereign hand of God? I think the latter. Absolutely. Well, more than becoming a believer and a brother in Christ, Onesimus becomes Paul's assistant in prison. While while Paul's in prison, you know, Imagine those conversations they had as Paul's discipling him and mentoring him um, over however long they had together, days, weeks, months, filled with grace and truth. Um, because eventually, the, the fruit is on the vine of Onesimus' life. How do we know that? Here's how. After Paul has written the letter of Colossians and Philemon... Paul and the Holy Spirit convince Onesimus to carry these letters back to Colossae, back to Philemon. Can you imagine that? Back to his master, who he ripped off. Uh, Colossians 4, 8-9 to um, includes this. He said, I have sent him, to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you who is one of you hear that this slave who ripped off your leader is one of you now So with that as a very long introduction, I'd like to read the whole letter this morning. Uh, It's just 25 verses, but um, I think it's important for us to to see the whole thing, and then we'll focus on the first seven verses um, after that. So this is Philemon. Why don't we stand together? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, <clears throat> our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you and to me. but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and 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 so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. The Word of God. Please be seated. Again, the, the overarching theme of this whole letter is this: a decision to follow Jesus is costly. In this case, it cost everyone something valuable. It cost Onesimus, Philemon, even Paul. Paul's putting on a clinic of how to write a grace-filled, tactful letter while at the same time he doesn't pull any punches. It's forceful, it's revolutionary, and it's all centered on the truth of the gospel. As I said, uh, ne- ne- next week we're we're going to cover the meat of Paul's request. But for the rest of our time, I'd I'd like to focus on the first seven verses. These these are the basis, the grounds of his gr- of, of his request. Three Fs here, okay? Because every sermon has to have three. Um, family, number one. Faith and love, number two. It's hyphenated. <laughs> And fellowship. Family, faith and love, fellowship. We'll start with family. The family of God. In these few short verses, notice how many references to the family of God are here between verses 1 and 7. Verse 1, Timothy, our brother. Verse 2, Aphia, probably Philemon's wife, our sister. Again, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 7, Paul Paul calls Philemon himself his brother. So, you know, you might be thinking, ah, Paul does that all the time. But to have so many references to the family of God in a few short verses, what's going on? Here's what's going on. Paul's saying in not-so-subtle terms and ways, he, he's saying this. Remember, Philemon, this is who we are. This is who we are. This is our true identity. I understand that you may be angry. I understand your desire for justice. I understand all the costs of following Jesus. I understand that you have a business to run. But let's take a second and back way up and remind ourselves who we are. As a result of what Jesus has done by his death and his resurrection, we have been adopted into the family of God. That's that's uh, Colossians 1. You have been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his son. We've been invited to approach God confidently and call him Abba, which means daddy. Yes. We've been been invited to um, appeal to the Father's heart and ask him to provide for everything knowing that he will do just that. Our dad, God, loves us with a forever love and knows exactly what we need before we ask. There's there's nothing more comforting and secure than that. And by virtue of the same truth, the same truth that we are all a, a part of his family, that means we are brothers and sisters with one another. And that means there is zero room for one to feel superior over another or one to feel inferior over another. The cross completely flattened every form of hierarchy. Remember, remember uh, Colossians 3, 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This echoes what he said in Galatians 3, 28, which I, I referenced a couple, a couple weeks ago. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's neither, there is no male, female, for you are all one in Christ. So there's no room for superiority. There's no room for inferiority. There's no room for favorites. There's no room for preferences. That is, I mean, the New Testament is littered with that. You know, just go to the book of James, and he has some, talk about pulling punches. He, He brings it. And it also means the line separating our private lives from our public lives has been erased as well. Check out the very beginning again. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, dot, 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 and the church in your house. Meaning, Philemon, there's no room for putting on your church hat one day and putting on your business hat the other. There's no room for that disintegration, that kind of compartmentalization. No. Jesus wants to completely integrate you. There's no room for silos. Um, In our 21st century world, 2,000 years later, I find that this is pretty insidious. We're, We're pros at sizing one another up, at putting hats on each other. Are you uh, college-educated or not? Are you uh, white-collar or blue-collar? Are you uh, public school, private school? Republican, Democrat? During the the church growth movement a couple decades ago, experts said in order to grow your church, you have to place people into small groups um, who have an affinity one another. So, that birth, the, the homogeneity principle, the sameness principle, is that church? You might be able to, to grow your church numerically that way, but how does that jive with Scripture? Scripture, not just Paul, constantly Warns believers against favoritism. Constantly warns us against prejudice. Doing life with the people you like in every way. That's far from the Jesus way. This is what Paul's saying here. You have, Philemon, you have a golden opportunity to be a witness to your church into the surrounding community. Embrace Onesimus as a brother or punish him, reject him. Which hat are you putting on? Number two, faith in love. Verses four and five and seven say this, I I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he started with saying, remember, this is who we are. Now he's doing something different. He's, he's encouraging him, he's reminding Philemon of the countless ways he's Paul has noticed the Spirit bearing fruit in his life. Fruit that depends on Christ for life, that's faith, and shows up in genuine love for Christ and love for his people. That's love. Faith in love. Especially for the saints, which which is simply another way of saying what? The family. He uses the word uh, refresh here because the, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This was a uh, military me- metaphor. Anytime an army's at war, they needed refreshment. They needed a break from battle. No one, we're not machines. You now we all need refreshment, rest, food, water. Soldiers needed it. I've never been in a literal battle. Hard to believe. (laughs) But I have climbed my fair share of mountains. A break is essential. Refreshment is essential. Snacks, water. Same is true for us spiritually. We, We need nourishment. We need food. We need drink from the living well that only Jesus can offer. Paul's saying Philemon... You're doing a, an outstanding job giving this kind of refreshment to your flock. You've loved them really well. It's the kind of love that can only come from your utter dependence, your faith in Christ. Onesimus's return home would undoubtedly be devi- divisive. Some members would be ready to embrace him. Others, huh would stand there clucking their tongue. Paul's subtly saying to Philemon, your church, which you've cared for really well, is watching you. The community at large is watching you as well. You, you have a choice to make. What, what is going to give the greatest refreshment to your church? Is it embracing Onesimus or is it rejecting him? What is going to give the greatest refreshment to your church if you, if you don the business hat or if you don the Jesus hat? So it's no coincidence that Paul uses the same word at the end of the letter. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's, he's reminded him uh, of his true identity. He's a member of the family of God. He's reminded him of all the ways in his life um, Christ is manifesting uh, through his care for his church. Lastly, the word fellowship. Fellowship. Anytime I hear the word fellowship, I sort of cringe. I, I grew up in the church, like fellowship fellowship hall, um, too, too many cold, dank basements and bad coffee. Fellowship is more than catching up with each other on Sunday morning, and it's more than catching up with your small, small group or community group during the week. No, no, the, the word for fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. And it means, koinonia, ko, koinonia means partnership, mutual participation, we can see koinonia in, in verse 6. Um, and I pray that the sharing, the koinonia of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Tim Mackey at, at the Bible Project defines koinonia this way. When two or more people receive something and share in it, Becoming partners. So, what's the point? What's the point of this of, of distinguishing fellowship from the family of God? I thought we already did that. We covered that. Here, here's here's how it's different. In Christ, it's not enough to say we are the family of God. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. We are. <laughs> Parallel playing, but not with one another. That alone doesn't mean I have to give up something for the sake of the relationship. That doesn't mean I have to give up my time. Doesn't mean I have to give up my money. Doesn't mean I have to give up my talent, energy, for you. As as N.T. Wright says, we are bound together. We just sang that. Bind us together. Glue us. We are bound together in a mutual bond that makes our much-prized individualism look shallow and petty. Man, as, as Americans, as Westerners, individualism is a massive idol that we have to take an axe to every day. Individualism is all about personal fulfillment, all about personal happiness. Koinonia, fellowship, mutual participation means I find my life when I give it away. Who does that sound like? Individualism is all about independence. No one's a boss of me. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Koinonia is all about interdependence. Mutual participation. I have a responsibility for those around me, particularly those in the family of God. Individualism is all about autonomy. Koinonia is all about relationships. Fulfilling all the the one another commands of Scripture, sharing burdens for one another, serving one another, listening to one another, caring for one another, giving to one another, speaking the truth in love to one another. You know, uh, it, it's for good reason that um, the church is called the body. You know, when, it, when you've got a headache, you're not thinking, oh, that's not my problem. That's my head's problem. Or when you have a toothache, or a sprained ankle, or a broken arm, you're not thinking, that stinks to be them. No, you grieve with one another. (laughs) We're a body of brothers and sisters who have been bound together by Christ. So it's not enough to say we've been reconciled. No, 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 we have been bound and are being bound. Koinonia, mutual participation, Fellowship is the theme in this letter to Philemon. There are some obvious differences 2,000 years later. Slavery is a thing of the past, mostly. But I would bet my life that there are more similarities than differences between Philemon and us. This is the theme we need to hear loud and clear. This is really what excites me about this. Koinonia calls for generous action out of love for Christ and love for one another. It doesn't just happen when we gather on Sundays. It doesn't just happen when we gather during the week. No, it's it's about a life marked by generous action for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. Following, Following Jesus always costs us something. All of us. But unlike a car accident or a broken hot water heater or an unexpected bill, we need to hear that following Jesus pays way more than it costs. Paul's subtle, tactful, implications as he starts this letter is as true for us as they were for Philemon. This is who you are. You're a member of Christ's family by his grace, totally by his grace, not by your choice, but by his grace. And here's some of the ways that new life is manifesting. Be encouraged. My prayer for you now is that your life would be marked more and more with the character of Jesus. That you would see yourself as more than a brother, more than a sister, but bound to your family. And the more and more you understand this, not only with your head, but with your heart. Paul's saying, I I pray that you would act generously out of love for Christ and love for his people. Let's pray. Father, in, in many ways, this is, uh, this is a, a hard message. Um, many of us are thinking, we didn't own slaves. Um, but that misses the point. The point is we all, all of us, need a constant reminder of who we are by your grace. We're a part of your family, and that is an amazing thing. And we're absolutely convinced that it will be an amazing thing when Jesus returns. For now, I pray that for each of us that we would be able to identify all the ways our uh, individual, individualism creeps in and robs us, robs us Of our joy in you, I pray more and more um, that you, Jesus, would conform us more and more to yourself. That we would gladly um, follow you, obey you, give our give our very lives for the sake of one another and for the sake of you. That we would see the, the the little costs and compared with your glory would look at those costs and just say, wow, that is nothing. That is literally nothing. So I pray for each one of us that you would help us. um, Think about this. Process it. During this week, process it with you, with one another, that we would Uh, Be a people who act generously. We love you, and we pray this in your name.